Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Let me tell you off the bat, Bernie Uche and Chimdi Egbuna and I spent a great amount of time talking about music. But there's a reason for that. I think for many people, you can associate places, faces, and time with songs you've heard on the radio, concerts you've been to, or just whatever happens to be on your playlist. So it makes sense that music was a big part of this conversation, because it's a great jumping point for the cross-cultural experiences both of these men have had. Bernie was raised in a Nigerian family who lived in Malaysia, the Netherlands, and Oman. And it was at a Nigerian boarding school where he met Chimdi and they formed a friendship that lasts till present day. When you listen to this episode, you'll see how much Western pop culture was part of their childhood experiences. Bernie, who's in Canada, and Chimdi, who's in the States, share the influences that shape their identity and friendships within both Nigerian society and abroad. We also discuss how music played a key role in the memories that they have in the places that they've been. Bernie and Chimney also describe their initial reaction and response to the aftermath surrounding racial activism that was triggered during the summer of 2020. And as news parents, they discuss the similarities and the differences between how they are raising their young children from their parents. So believe it or not, there is some seriousness mixed in with what I consider a worthy debate on Beyonce, Usher, and Aaliyah. I first met these two dudes last year when I was on their podcast, The Talk Shop, discussing what else? Black identity and international life. And there was a questionable argument about what constitutes as the best jollof rice around. And now they've come to return the favor to continue the conversation of what it means to navigate between both West African and Western cultures. Welcome to the Global Chatter. All right, so we're back with the next latest, greatest, possibly ever episode of the Global Chatter. I'm speaking it into existence, right? So my family's Cameroonian. You speak things into existence, otherwise, yes. otherwise mm-hmm. they're not what it is. You people know you're Nigerian. You have to speak exactly. it into existence. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh yeah. Exactly. So I'm super excited to have these these two on because I had a chance to be on their podcast kind of late fall 2020, at least when the episode dropped out. And yeah. now I said, now that I have my podcast and we've been up for a minute, I wanted to return the favor. So Bernie and Chimdi, welcome to the Global Chatter. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Looking forward to, the, to this. So I, I always pick on people who have podcasts because you should be experts. You know the drill. <laughs> you interview people. You do this. <laughs> yep. So you have to be on yep. your best behavior because you actually know what's happening. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know about best behavior. I'm about yeah. we can we can get unruly if we want. <laughs> exactly. No. Don't 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 think we're gonna be all like politically correct and everything all the time. But huh? I mean, I've listened to your podcast how... now. <laughs> I've actually listened to the podcast. So I exactly, know. Exactly. <laughs> so for for the people who don't know, um, let let's actually start off at kind of the beginning because we always take an international perspective with everything. So, Bernie, tell everyone where you are located right now. I am in what I used to call the best place on earth before COVID, <laughs> uh, Tor- Toronto, uh, Ontario, Canada. Um, the most the most diverse city on earth, I will say. I live just a, a forty minutes uh, north of Toronto. Yeah, that's where I'm at right now. Wait a minute. So why why is it no longer the best city on earth? We can't even get vaccines <laughs> up in here. Like <laughs> it's crazy. Shambles of a COVID response. Shambles. You know, I, I had a conversation with uh actually she's I guess she's Nigerian American. She lives in Europe though. And uh she said, you know, 
2020, we were kind of worried about the U.S., but the, somehow all of you managed to get the vaccine, and we're still um, people who were born in 1940. So, so I, so I feel your your pain, Jimmy. Where are you? Where are you located? Right now, I'm in Houston. I actually live in New York, so I'm just in Houston for a few weeks. Um, work stuff and my wife's work stuff, so we're back and forth to Houston and New York. But yeah, nice. Nice. Yes. And uh, you've been to Houston before, right? Prior to this? For me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, my wife's family lives here. Oh, her, her parents live here. So we were always, always here at least once a year until now that we're pretty much living back and forth. Mm. Okay. So I, I think what's really important that everyone kind of gets a context of both of you, especially if they haven't listened to your podcast or know who you are. And so I, I don't know who wants to go first and whoever wants to take it can, but I'm really interested in sort of both of you telling me your international story. Now, both of you have a Nigerian identity and heritage, of course, um, but what is your international story? Did you grow up moving? Did you move as an adult? Like where, where did it all begin for you? Uh, Bernie has a lot more corners to go to, so let me just <laughs> let me kick it off and end quickly. Um, I was born and raised in Nigeria, primary school, secondary school, all the way to like graduating secondary school. Um, then college, I moved to the states for college, and that's pretty much my international story. I've been here since I started college. Um, in New York State specifically, upstate New York, and then I moved downstate when I was done with school, and I've lived in the New York City area since then. So, so let me ask you this question: Before mm-hmm. you you came for university, had you had you at least traveled to the states or visited before? Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, um, I um, I have family in Texas, even like apart from my my, my in laws. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have family in New York, plenty more family in New York. So I was always, if I ever came to the States, it's either Texas or, or New York, mostly Texas. Um, but yeah, I, and I, um, I'm also, little caveat, I'm also a British citizen. So um, <laughs> through, my, through my father, my father was born there. And when I was born, um, when most of us, the kids were born, they still had that rule that if you're, parents were British citizens, your mm-hmm. kids could apply to be British citizens also. So uh, just, I guess, by right, I got it. So yeah, I've been, uh, I am British citizen. So we traveled quite a bit. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. And I'm actually really curious. So coming for the U.S., right? And coming mm-hmm. to the U.S. after being in Nigeria, mm-hmm. what were, like, was there anything for you that was jarring like was there something that you didn't anticipate you'd have to deal with as someone who just came from from Nigeria or is it because you had traveled here and you kind of knew what to expect it was like it is what it is yeah the biggest thing for me specifically I mean you have your general the main big things were weather and stuff like that I came in I came in January and I moved straight to Buffalo uh-uh. and it <laughs> <Wait a> was <laughs> in the middle of winter you know it was terrible so it wasn't easy at all, you know. That was that was the biggest thing. But again, I've had I had at that point experience winter and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like it was foreign to me. But the level of cold, yeah, maybe that was foreign to me. Other than that, just not realizing how much like cultural differences there were and how making friends wasn't that easy mm-hmm. uh, in terms of friends that are your lasting friends. I always say all the time that my friends are still my secondary school friends for the most part. Um, obviously, you meet people along the way. We usually bond with the Nigerians. Some people are easy to bond with people from other places. For me, I didn't find it that easy in college. Um, if not for the friends I had who were more outgoing than I was, I probably would have been a loner all through college. And, I don't know, or just, you know, went to school, had casual friends or classmates, but didn't really have any intimate relationships with anyone other than my circle. That's that's how it would have been for me. But, you know, thankfully I had people that were 
outgoing enough to allow me to be able to meet other people and, you know, share experiences with them. And then once I got older and, you know, towards graduation and stuff, it was easier for me to to blend in and make all sorts of friends. I still don't think I can make friends of people that don't have some kind of shared background with me in some way in terms of, you know, knowing the experience of an immigrant. You know, that's, 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 I think that's the thing that bonds me with most of the people that I can call friends now that are not from high school is we're, we're mostly immigrants or, you know, of some, some kind. Yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot. And I think even for me, when I was in college, where I really started to make the friends is once I joined the African student union, even though I was an American citizen, grew up in Cameroon, came back, like that was that's when college really started for me. Whereas beforehand, mm-hmm. I think it was like really hard just because, I mean, there's something to be said when you have people who understand when you have the kind of parents you have and the kind of place you're coming from and kind of an outside Western perspective. Mm-hmm. So I could, I could totally see that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Bernie, how about you? What What's your international story? Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's uh, ebbs and flows to that. <laughs> Uh, when I was three years old, we left Nigeria to go to the Netherlands. So my dad works worked in oil and gas, and back then oil and gas, you know, global industry, mm-hmm. right? So we moved to the Netherlands. We were there for a year. Then we moved to Malaysia, um, to a little town called Miri, which is wow. on the on a on an island that's shared with Indonesia. Mm-hmm. So Malaysia is kind of split in two. There's a peninsula and then there's an island, and the island that's where we were. So we used to go to Brunei and stuff and go hang out there. We le- After four years, we left there, went back to Nigeria, which was a culture shock, interestingly. Like, you know, that was, <laughs> that was wild. We might get into that later, but that was crazy. Then, yeah, that's where I met Jimdi um, in secondary school. And after a couple of years there, uh, I left. They, they graduated. I was so jealous of them. But I left and we went to... Um, uh, Oman, or so right next to Dubai, went to the Sultanate of Oman, where I finished off high school the next four years, I think, three, four years it was. And then I came to Canada for university. Yeah, and I've been in, in Canada ever since. So let's back up for a second. So where you guys met in secondary school? First day, roommates, everything. Ah, so this must have been a boarding school. Yeah. 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 Oh, so okay. So I also feel like I feel like some of the shock. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I have a story about that, honestly. So tell me a little bit about the shock that you had because I, I don't think people understand. You you'd been out of the country for a while, mm-hmm. right? And then you came back, and then when then you came back, were you then put in this boarding school? Um, boarding school came a bit later. Um, so like okay. when I came, when I when we moved back to Nigeria, I was eight or something, and. At that point, you don't even have any memories of it, like from when you were a kid, right? So it was it was totally new to me. Like I had this Malaysian international vibe about me. I came in, and so here here here's a here's a kicker that is is really interesting. Is that so? Um, in sh- if you if your parents work in Shell and you live in Nigeria, their option there's like they have their own housing effectively. Um, so it's like a it's sort of it doesn't feel like you're in Nigeria. It's like this, this international hub, like for the international, um, the expat workers of Shell all live there mm-hmm. and the Nigerians can live there, but there are stipulations for that. Like if there's available, like if there's no one foreigner on the wait list, stuff like that for the house and stuff. So we got a place in there and it was, it's not Nigeria. Like whatever you think Nigeria is, the Shell camp <laughs> is not that. So for the first year I was back, I was still living an international life, even within the country. But then we moved to Lagos for my dad's job. Um, so they moved him to, to Lagos. And there isn't an international, like there is one, but it's not the same. So we lived okay. in um, Ikui. Uh, I still remember the, the, the place. We're going to go look at it now. And like, it's where squatters and drug dealers like hang out now. It's completely changed, <laughs> like completely changed. Um, <laughs> but in an, in an instant... Like, because at the time it was a great place to live. I'm not trying to say I lived in the ghetto. Like, that's not what I'm sure. But in, in a, like in an instant, I was transported to like real Nigerian life, which was right. fun but different. Like, just totally different. And it was a culture shock. Like I've never seen. You know, my accent's different. 
I don't understand the jokes. Even like the music the kids are listening to, like I I wasn't into rap then, and that's what the kids were listening to. Like, mm. you know, the just like you, Jim. Do you remember uh, there was that big textbook, Ugo Sugo? Like, I remember like the kids would just randomly hit each other over the head with that textbook, just 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 for fun, just for fun. And like, it's funny now, mm-hmm. but at the time, I'm like, why are these kids doing this? <laughs> <laughs> like it, it was wild like that's, that's all i can say and like the st- pigeon english like the street slang and stuff like yeah i didn't know what was going on i couldn't even communicate with with, with my friends right and so it made yeah. it made it it made it hard and then i got used to it right after a couple of years then we went to boarding school so it was it was easier to make that transition because of that um i i would say so like you're telling your story and i had the exact reverse so I moved to Cameroon around 10. Mm-hmm. We didn't go to the Yaoundé, which is the capital city. We went to Boya, which is in the English part, which is not capital city, mm-hmm. right? So we were in the community. And then I did, I, I was maybe homeschooled for like half a year. And then I went into boarding school and that was a disaster. And then we moved to Yaoundé, which is the capital, and lived in the international community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my mother worked for the, for the U.S. Embassy. Mm-hmm. So I had the exact like mm-hmm. reverse to your experience, mm-hmm. which is actually funny. Like I'm listening to your story and I'm like, I did that in reverse. Like <laughs> instead of going, you went to you went into the expat and then went to the yeah. community. Mm-hmm. I went into the community and then we went into the to the expat yeah. space. Oh yeah. Oh, and yeah. so I think that that's probably why you had a very different because obviously you're you have a friend who is here who you have a you have a a podcast mm-hmm. with, right? I think you had a very different boarding experience than I did because I think for me, I didn't have that. Like it was just straight out. I came from the States Mm -hmm. and then went in. And then of course, then I was the American kid, Mm -hmm. right? Because I was the kid with the accent and it wasn't, (laughs) and I don't know how old you are, but it wasn't a rap that was at the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm going to date myself by saying what I'm going to say. It doesn't even matter. Um, The thing that people were kind of still obsessed with is it was the Mm -hmm. 90s, but it was early. So it was Michael Jackson. Yeah. Okay. So it was really funny. (laughs) So, you know, not like thriller or bad, y'all. We're talking like dangerous and you okay. know, a little bit later. Okay. 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 So that's what I'm saying. It's not, it's not, <laughs> you, you know, what's funny is that like, like when, when I moved to, um, to Lagos, the funny thing, the thing I always notice that like, you know, you notice these things as a kid, just keep it to yourself a lot. Like every birthday party in Lagos had a Michael Jackson in person. Every single yep. one, every yep. single one without fail. Yeah. <laughs> And even even they, Wait, they used, tell me they more. Used, I want they to used to this. add um, Mickey Mouse sometimes. Well, back then the Power Rangers were heavy, so there was a lot of Power Rangers. Um, yeah, that was it was big. Especially if it was a boy, Power Ranger and Michael Jackson, <laughs> definitely. Oh yeah. Would it, would they have the two at, at the same party or just one? If, I mean, it depends. Some people had multiple costume people. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that, that was how they showed like how much how much money they had. You yeah. got Michael Jackson and you got Red Ranger. Damn, yeah. exactly, exactly. I mean, I mean, I'm a, I'm a flex just a little bit. My first concert was Michael Jackson. Really? Oh, oh okay, wow. okay. Now, but let me let me tell this. That some people know this. Some people don't. Let me tell this story. So, like, my uncle. I, someone asked me the other day, how did he always get concert tickets? I don't even know what the man did, but he was not in events. Don't, you don't ask whatever. questions. <laughs> he knew. He always knew mm-hmm. someone, and and you know, in the eighties, obviously Michael Jackson was massive, mm-hmm. Madonna was massive, Prince was massive. So I first wanted to go to Madonna. My parents said no. Remember, we're we're thinking what's appropriate. <laughs> I was I was elementary, mm-hmm. right? Then the the one I really wanted to go to, and I had to explain this to a Gen Zer the other day because they didn't understand it. The one I really wanted to go to was Bobby Brown. Because Don't Be Cruel was such a big album. It was like, I said, it was like, he said, it's this is the way he described. He's like, I get it, man. It's like, he was big like Drake, but with Chris Brown tendencies. I was like, yes, that is is how you describe it. Because Drake in no way is Bobby Brown. But you know what I mean? Like, I was too I was too young for new edition, but Don't Be Cruel came out and he was the coolest. 
And my mama said, no, my uncle had tickets. <laughs> my mom said, no, because you may have also remembered that Bobby was a bit of a mm-hmm. wild boy back in those mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was just, this was pre Whitney. Mm-hmm. So he was wilding mm-hmm. out right mm-hmm. on stage. So uh, Michael Jackson was a consolation. That was my consolation. Your concept. consolation was the greatest. Was the greatest, right? Exactly. God. Can you imagine? <laughs> Every time I say that, people are like, I was like, I wanted to see Bobby Brown. I got Michael Jackson. But you know why, I'm right? Not because like every African parent loved, <laughs> loved Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Like, Right. Loved him. Like, there was no discussion. Michael Jackson was on. You, yeah, you can skip school. Go watch that Michael Jackson. Like, yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Well, the thing is, and at that time, well, I'm obviously he was big, big, but I remember, I like, I was such a kid. There were these five Black women in front of me who screamed the entire, like, to this day, I've been to many mm-hmm. concerts. I have never seen that level of just screaming. And he he didn't do a solo tour for Thriller. So this was his first solo mm-hmm. tour. Like, this was the first one without his brother's whatever and so so yes i like to tell people my first concert was michael jackson and i wasn't even trying to go to michael jackson but i'm glad i got to see him at his peak so you know like i feel you what's funny though is yeah because you mentioned gen z and you know i'm starting to have beef with them Mm -hmm. like they they don't know what's going on and like what's interesting is well you're millennial so they they have beef with y'all in general i I know i know and and i I go to war like that's what i do But what's interesting is that, like, I don't remember if it was Gen Z's or someone. They were talking about, like, who's the greatest artist of all time. And, you know, they threw out, it's a Twitter thing, right? They threw out stuff. Look. And I'm like, like, someone said Beyonce, someone said someone else, I don't know what. And all I said was, Michael Jackson stood still for three minutes. <laughs> and the crowd, you remember that? You remember that? Yes. Were, like, ambulances were called. But like, he stood, he didn't move for three minutes. <laughs> And you're trying to tell me that Beyonce is the greatest artist of all time? Get out of here. <laughs> That's a, no, I've seen that fight on social media. I mean, here's, and this is not to take away from Beyonce, mm-hmm. right? I feel like you have to caveat this before Beehive comes after you. She's smart. She is talented. She can do a lot of things. She is, she can move records. She can move mm-hmm. whatever. But I got into it with someone because I had to tell them real talk, real talk, like, when you look at Usher's sales for just confessions <laughs> and you look at Beyonce, like... Oh, oh you're not, you, you did not do that. <laughs> no. Just confessions? That mess went diamond, okay? Like, you don't... You, and this is when you had to go out and Physically buy the record. Yeah. I know. As the kid who grew up and has bought records and CDs, mm-hmm. this is not... I go stream a song. Y'all don't know the rest of the songs on the album. Like you had to go buy confessions. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I just, I think that Beyonce, like at least if R&B or whatever, I'm like, eh, I mean, we don't do album sales. Mm. I feel you. I'm not saying she's not influential. I don't know. That's just me. I feel you. I feel you. Well, for me, I mean, in this comparison, right, it's going to be hard if you start bringing in numbers in terms of record sales, because depending on whatever was going on at that time and, you know, how things are streamed now versus CDs back then, it's hard to compare because who's to say if Beyonce was Beyonce now back then, her CDs wouldn't sell like hot fire. Now, like you said, streamers can stream specific songs and that's it. And, you know, they can stream it on different platforms and there's no true tally of what you're, record sales equivalent is now it's a weird uh algorithm so it's not easy to know but i can tell you i i have a funny feeling if she was there back then her sales may be as crazy as usher's was back then i would no but but what wait wait no but here's the thing not now we're gonna make this whole episode about beyond i know right (laughs) no but i'm gonna like to fight here i got two points okay like I ride with you, I ride with you on the data. Mm-hmm. You are right. It is hard to compare physically standing and waiting for an album to drop at Tower Records mm-hmm. versus whatever. Mm-hmm. But we acted like Beyonce ain't been out since <laughs> Beyonce's been out for a That's minute. That's true. Okay. Like she's been out for a minute. Like she came out. I Destiny's Child, like oh, we take it to Destiny's Child. Mm-hmm. It's like 98, 99, they out, right? They came out like my first year of college. So like Beyonce. 
let, no, we can't can totally give her a pass because she was selling albums and was a known artist when we were still buying albums. Because Confessions came out when? 2005? Mm-hmm. Back, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was already established at that point, too. You're right. So, so, so I'm, I'm, so in the case of Beyonce, I think you can make the argument for other people. Secondly, the other thing that caused the fight <laughs> when I was talking about Beyonce to a Gen Zer is that I said, honestly, she may, might have been the one that directly uh, benefited from Aaliyah dying. Oh, 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 so, so, so Amanda chooses violence on a, on a frequent level. Okay. All right. All right. I said, fight me. We in church. Fight me. Wow. <laughs> they oh. tried. That, oh, well, they that, that, that may be a point though. I don't know where to go Come from Come on there. now. Exactly. Exactly. Shut it down. You just got to <laughs> shut it down. Unless who no dead dead serious dead serious right like if you look at the female artists that were kind of coming out in that time right because i look back and i think okay who who kind of continued on or whatever i don't know someone said you could have had a nalia and a beyonce at the same time i, I i'm like I, do you understand how american society works <laughs> in the music industry i don't know if you could have had two quote unquote and i don't even want to use the word pop princesses mm-hmm. because it's kind of hard to say that i don't know if you could have had them both I'll, I'll say this though, like I remember when, like when I did get to boarding school, that uh, that Aaliyah song. Uh, remember, do you remember that, that song with Tim, with Timbaland? Um, if at first you don't succeed, yeah, that try one. again, try again, yeah. That song, yeah. I remember, like I, it was like. <laughs> so I'm the type of guy that there are songs that like remind me of where I where was, I was, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I yeah. I still remember being in in boarding school and like ironing shirts and stuff like that with that song in the back of my <laughs> mm-hmm. head. I remember that. That was a big, big tune. Mm-hmm. A big, big tune. But I'll say this, though. I'll say this. <laughs> Listen, I'm not trying to fight with you on your own podcast. I'm not trying to do that. But I mean, you can. De- Destiny's Child, not just not Beyonce herself, but Destiny's Child is bigger than Aaliyah. That's, that's a straight fact. Mm, and, yeah. Beyonce, yeah, I mean, yeah. and Beyonce is Destiny's Child. So, like, like I'm not, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, listen, I love Kelly. I love Kelly. Like, I had a crush on Kelly okay, forever. But, but nah, nah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having this Aaliyah thing. I'm not having it. <laughs> so, so I was, this is really funny. That memory you had in Nigeria of that song, because I'm a little bit older than you. And so let me take it back. I remember the parties that we would play that was off her first album right so back and forth basically the r kelly album that we don't want to talk about mm-hmm. kelly, yeah. well, we had to talk about mm-hmm. r kelly right and so just the magnitude of when that chick came out it's hard for me to kind of imagine that we would have had both and it's hard, of course obviously Aaliyah passed on or whatever so it's hard but it's hard for me to to have that art like to believe that there's both. like did Beyonce have a solo album or was she starting to do solo stuff before Aaliyah died? She didn't, right? Nah, she didn't. She was in Destiny's Child. There's pictures of them when Aaliyah died. And Aaliyah was died, like was older and a few years older and, right? Yeah, because Aaliyah was my age and Beyonce's got to be like two, three years younger. Yeah, so I, I think you might be right. We would never know because I don't know if the open open spot was there you know vacated literally because uh uh Leah wasn't there because you're right it's hard for especially female artists to have two black exactly black female doing artists. the same stuff uh and holding the same audience to the same like level it's it's hard to do that so you might be right we would never know obviously but I mean, even think about your own childhood and your own, like, your teen years, right? And uh, this is actually a really good way of even thinking about you guys growing up in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Like, who 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 were the kids listening to? Like, what was the music that was big? Because I know that for me, what, what would happen back in the day is that folks, <laughs> you couldn't stream anything, of course, mm-hmm. whatever. So people would go back for the summer, come back with CDs, mm-hmm. right? And we would all be bumping, like, Janet Jackson's self-titled mm-hmm. Janet. That was mm-hmm. huge. SWV was huge. Mm-hmm. R. Kelly was mm-hmm. huge, <laughs> right? Like, so what What was, what, how, like, what kind of music were y'all listening to? Were you listening to 
what was in Nigeria at the time? Were you listening to European music? Were you listening to American music? Like, what what was the deal? What let's let's let me ask this: What arrangements are we looking at? Because I can tell you, my pre-secondary school, maybe my like nine years old, ten years old, eleven years old, and then secondary school. Obviously, that's coming close to how we are now. But beginning, a lot of what you said, a lot of me. I remember specifically Rough Riders and DMX were 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 huge. Yeah. Especially when I yeah. when I started to understand, you know, lyrics and rap those things, you know, being able to follow on songs, Rough Riders, DMX, Aaliyah, obviously she wasn't around there, but at that time, Michael Jackson was still big. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, you know, it was weirdly big, hmm. like Backstreet Boys. Yeah, no, but but <laughs> to me, to me, Is it- I associate that with. Just one, just two. So secondary school, Backstreet Boys and Sync. Well, maybe maybe not Backstreet Boys because Backstreet Boys was before. Remember like Backstreets Back, oh, whatever that song. But is. that seemed like yeah. that was pre, right? That was that was secondary school. That was just one. That was when was for me, okay. to me, they defined <laughs> to me those defined like the uh, mimes and socials and stuff like that because it was a lot of in sync mimes, a lot of Backstreet Boy mimes, a lot of. Um, who else was back then? Those, 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 dance was a big deal. Sorry, <laughs> was it? Yeah, choreographed dance like it was. A, yeah, it was. Big, big deal. No, we had these things called um, talent show, talent whatever it was called. Yeah, and yeah. people would do mimes of different sort like choreographed dances, and that was. I remember just one was in sync, wasn't it? Wasn't it? it was very big. The biggest mime that year was like by. No, it was it was uh, uh, Beg MK with um. Well, I mean that was the one Back, that was the one with the most. Like, Backstreet Boys. That was the one with the most yeah. like pop, the most the biggest the biggest yeah. um, situation. But in general, didn't they didn't they have like um a group that did um bye 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 or yeah every little thing yeah. I do they did they did that too right so like oh, yeah. sorry this is, honestly this is so funny to me for a lot of honestly, reasons I think oh, I, oh it's, it's funny to us it's, it's very funny. <laughs> Very funny, but I mean, so because what what is this putting us at ninety nine two thousand? Yeah, us at around then two thousand. Yeah. So at this so at this point, and I'm really I'm dating myself in terms of the music. Is that just what was coming out on the TV where people getting off the internet? Like, kind of what were sort of these Western influences? Yeah, was, where are you seeing was, them coming from? It was off the it was off the TV, TVs, especially like and yeah, yeah, radio, TVs, um, radio, people mm. who traveled and brought them back because. Remember at that point, our seniors were the socials prefects, and they would bring CDs back to school and play them. Gotcha. So yeah, so the older kids would bring those in. So yeah, that was what that so was what the, that was. The, the interesting thing is like, and you might remember this, Amanda, depending on when you came back. But there, there were two streams, and there was no Afro beat, right? It was just Awilo that you. I was going to get into that, really, yeah. And that was like, if you heard Awilo at a party, it was only you heard Awilo at the party, mm-hmm. and then you heard, <laughs> you know, the rest of it, like, like that's what you would hear. So African music, I'm so mad it wasn't that I thing. know what you're talking about. Yeah, like, it just yeah. wasn't a thing. Like, well, well it's it's well, not to the level it is. Yeah, no, that is not to the level it is right now. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that's fascinating to me about Afro, and and let's be honest. Afrobeats in itself as a title is so general mm-hmm. because there's so many strands, like, you know what I mean? There's strands yeah. of music. But I, of course, I grew up listening to Makosa. Makosa is actually a Cameroonian, it's a, specifically the Duala mm-hmm. people, right? We know so, all about that. You, you, well, you know this, but I'm saying it for the people who don't know and only heard Manu Dubango say it and then heard Michael Jackson mm-hmm. say it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, which, by the way, I finally side note in a wanna be start. Is it wanna be starting somewhere? Yeah. He's like, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna <laughs> No, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Someone finally I'm not gonna stop. showed the lyrics I'm of what he's saying. Stop. Yes, and I was yeah. like, what? Yeah, yeah. I'm this age and I never knew. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what, what I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now. I'm not gonna stop. Some, something like no, that. But I'm that's gonna stop. That's all. Yeah, that's all he's saying. That's, that's all he's saying. saying. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought it was deeper than that. <laughs> Bernie, don't no, don't feel bad. I just found out last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I went to the concert, so <laughs> okay. yeah. like I just, I just found out and went. <laughs> I'm so mad but, at this. But you know what? Like it reminds me. I want to ask you guys if you know this still exists. So like. 
around that time that like you know we're in Nigeria and stuff, there were two ways you could like on TV. It was MTV and MTV played all the pop and the rock stuff, mm-hmm. and yeah. there was only a little bit of hip hop here and there. But then there was Channel yeah. O. Channel you guys o. remember cha- cha- Channel O? Channel like, o. We didn't yeah. have it. Oh, you didn't have that? Uh, Ch- Channel O was yeah. just like Channel black o. music. Yeah, like that was it. Really? It was. Yeah. It was. It was South Africa's answer to MTV. Mm. And be, and this is this before MTV Base came because I think MTV Base started as a response to Channel O, but it was mostly it yeah, but it was mostly South Africans playing Western music, hip hop, R and B on the TV. So that's pretty much what that was. So yeah. Well, I, I think what's amazing right now is that when I talk to folks and they're telling me about all these African artists that they're listening to, a good number of them, honestly, are Nigerian, mm-hmm. right? Because there are some Nigerian names that have crossed the, the borders. And <laughs> I'm just like, y'all know who these people are? Where? Whatever. But it is, a, it is really fascinating just to see I think kind of an embrace of this mm-hmm. because I think that for some of us who've been around the block for a moment, you know, like you mentioned, so Makosa, we like, we know our, mm-hmm. <laughs> like our pop music. Mm-hmm. Right. But it was not on a glo- It was not on a global stage in the way. Now, when you hear, when you see people like a Drake or you see an Omarion or you see whoever now or Beyonce, right. Who are very intense, like, intimately now working with African artists. And so I, I, I'm curious now just even, I mean, obviously both of you guys are off the continent, but what, what does that kind of do for you? Like, I mean, you're Nigerian and so there are a good number of them are Nigerian. Is there a sense of like, oh, there's a piece of Nigeria which more and more people are learning about besides what they think they know? Or are you just like, eh? Um, I'm in between uh, because the world has always been becoming more global. So either way, this was going to happen somehow. I thought it would have happened more heavily. Um, I mean, they paved the way, but like the Bonge and back then with the um, Oliver Twist and all that stuff, when he did that stuff and joined good music, music and stuff like that, it didn't really push it as far as I thought it would back then, but it gave the avenue because from him, you started hearing Nigerian music in like H and M's, you know, in the malls, you know, on the on the, P, on the PA yeah. system, stuff like that. So that's where it started. So, but, and I'm not like, I see that I see like this. I I honestly don't know why it took this long when you had reggae, you know, having been around for forever in mainstream. Now you could say, yeah. you know as a result of slavery and Jamaicans just being in close proximity and then the Windrush moving to England and then moving to uh, America and having them be more in this society and keeping their their heritage and bringing their music to larger Western society, probably that's why. But, you know, I always thought that, you know, it should be on the same level, in my opinion, because... I didn't see the difference. There's differences, but obviously I thought that yeah. uh, what we were doing back then, obviously I just evolved the same way Nollywood has evolved, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's evolved. Oh, no. So let's not even get into Nollywood. But, um, <laughs> but I guarantee you my family is watching a Nigerian movie right now, right yeah. now in the house. But you know, that's, that's, that's the interesting <laughs> thing is that I, I think part of it is that we didn't even take our own music seriously. Right. Yeah. Like, mm. There was there was a generation like I'm sure you knew that is the same mm-hmm. where like Nigerian high life was all they listened to, mm-hmm. you know, and they still love those things still today. And I found out in university that there's a subculture of, you know, Western society that was really into high life and also into fella exactly. and all that stuff that I didn't exactly. I didn't know about. Exactly. And I feel like yeah. there was a generation of like I don't know if it was ours or there was some point. Like, like where we just, Nigerians, or I, I can only speak for Nigerians, didn't really care about Nigerian music. Mm-hmm. And it just was about the Western music. And then all of a sudden, you started to hear, you know, like, I remember when African Queen came out. Yep, Two-Face. Like, mm-hmm. I forgot about that Two-Face. Was, that I was the one. That. I was in Oman, and, and African Queen came out, and, like, all the white kids were like, yo, you heard this? I'm like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> and then, then P-Square started to do a little bit, mm-hmm. right? And then it was like, okay. And when I was in university, um, we had like uh, this 
it's like a you could share your your iTunes playlist with everyone like in the dorm and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I had some of those tracks, and people would listen to my stuff and be like, "Yeah, what's this?" Mm-hmm. And and then so they started to spread it around, and all the Nigerians would add music to it. So we started. I think it it came about just kind of organically, mm-hmm. kind of like that grassroots. Mm-hmm. And then I remember all like we started to get a couple of Nigerian DJs in, in like yep. mainstream clubs, yep. and they would sneak the track like in there and look for the reaction. Yep. And you go, okay, yep. all right. And then from there, it just bubbled. You would go out to clubs. I remember, yeah, freshman year stuff. Like you go out to clubs and. At that point, some people had started being like, or whoever was in like upper classes were doing like side things, like side gigs on the side or whatever. And they were DJing. So you would always be able to say, oh, can you play this one Nigerian song? At least. And you would always have the Nigerian group back in the corner, like, you know, enjoying the music. And it grew from there. So yeah, you're right, Bernie. I, I forgot about that. That's that's true. Because... I also think... Go ahead. I was going to say, I also think that the music at least as far as if we look at the Americas, so like North America or so, we're we're a little bit later compared to like Europeans just by proximity and the immigration patterns. So there are songs that I think that kind of rose first, like they came off the continent, maybe they started to get play in Europe and then got that crossover, you know, especially when you look at the UKs, the Frances, the Germany, like when you really look at those large African populations, right? And then finally America caught on and, you know, it's sort of like you kind of want to make it here because then you know you can sort of make it everywhere, everywhere yeah. for, as an artist. And when we start to hear like the Tiwas and the Davidas and, you know, and the Burna Boys and everybody mm-hmm. else, all of us, and the WizKids, yeah. right? All of a sudden now we know their names. Yeah. We talked about your international yeah. story and kind of <laughs> childhood and Beyonce <laughs> because like all the conversations, <laughs> Beyonce shows up. I'm 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 kind of curious, especially with the past year that we've had in the United States, which even though it is a U, an American mm-hmm. event when we think about George Floyd, but I'm I'm interested as both of you as black men who obviously have lived in other places and then now you're living in North America. How I mean when we especially when we think about identity, how 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 do you think the way you grew up kind of perceives how you navigate where you live right now? And once again, one of you's in Canada, one of you's is in the United States. So I'm real curious about that. Uh, Barry, you want to go? I was going to say let the American go first, but you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> it, it's, it, it was big here. Like it was a very big deal here. It affected us. And I think, I think even globally, like George Floyd dying was the last straw for black people in diaspora, like everywhere. Um, I'd never seen everywhere. anything like that because even, you know, I'm sure Chindi knows everyone's company was like, hey, are you okay? And how can we help mm-hmm. you? And they were also doing performative things, you know, like with um, everyone's company, social media went black. And it's like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Like, you know what I mean? But everyone was checking in because I think from a corporate standpoint, if you didn't check in, it looked bad. I don't think that many of them actually cared, but at least it, it got mm-hmm. everyone uh, talking at the same time. And over here it was the same thing. Uh, a, a, a black woman got pushed off her balcony by cops, I think the day after or something like that. So we had our own situation wow. that we were protesting in line with, with the George Floyd situation. But um, for me personally, you know, my company reached out and we, there were lots of roundtable discussions where our leadership around equality and diversity and inclusion, because that's what this conversation is fostered, right? I think when Jackie Aina did the whole like, show us your boards or something like that. Like a lot of companies started to try and figure out like, okay, this, this has to be a turning point. But, you know, for, for me personally, I appreciated those conversations, but I know that um, these companies can only do so much, especially the big ones, whether they want to or not, red tape is red tape. They can only do so much. So for me, my friends and I, we got together and we said, look, let's do what we can do. And if these if these companies come on board, that's great. But let's 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 not wait for these people to try and make our lives better. So we started a, a nonprofit called Black Mint, mm-hmm. and what we do at Black Mint is m- mentorship in technology, yeah. where we're trying to bring awareness and bring more Black kids into the technology industry. There's not enough of us. Like in Canada, I'll give you a stat: we're four percent of the population, but only two percent of the tech workforce. Whereas if you look at Indians and in and um, East Asians. They're 5% of the population, but 10% each of the tech workforce. So we're missing something. 
So what we said was the tech industry was resilient, like in the pandemic. No one really lost their job. Not really. Like the tech, tech did better than everyone else. Yeah. So get let's get more black people yeah. in tech because we can bring raise each other up economically this way. So that's what we're, we've been working on for the last year. Can I ask a follow-up question because you are in Canada? Um, I think particularly for those who are in the U.S., sometimes they look at Canada as sort of this pansea, like the promised land kind of, <laughs> in comparison to these issues. But obviously with your organization, you just sort of alluded that there are definitely great disparities, particularly for Black and brown folks, or at least yeah, yeah. Black C- folks. Canada's, Is that the case? Like I've said it all the time, it's... The- for me, the best place I ever lived, I have no problem saying that. And Toronto is the most diverse place in the world. I have no problem in saying that. But there is racism. There are diversity issues. There is, there is lack of inclusion. Like, you will get stopped as a black man and some some little white kid's going to ask you if you got weed on you that you can sell. Like, this will happen. It happened to me multiple times. The The difference is Canadians are just generally more polite. So... Their racism is more microaggressions, but a lot of microaggressions, if you know what I mean. Uh, and this is in the cities. If you go to rural areas, right. I'm sure it's worse. Like, I've seen a Confederate flag in Alberta and stuff. I've seen, like, little things happen like this. But... <laughs> sorry, you're, sorry, can I... I never fix my face on this. I, I, I saw um, it. I saw it. <laughs> why? The, I, mean, I mean, I know. Like, I know, but... Yeah. Okay. Crazy. Anyway, we can, we can just keep moving because I can't all, even. All I'll say is, in, in Alberta, has has its problems with racism, and the yeah. depending on 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 who you believe and what side of the political aisle you stand on, you might say that their their current premier, which is like you know the governor, eh, they have racist problems. They've had some white supremacists. They've had to kick out their party. You know, I'm, I'm trying to say things without saying things. You see what I mean? But mm-hmm. there, 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 there are some issues over there yeah. that, that I've, I've noticed. Crazy. Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm going to be stuck on that flag for a minute. Uh, um, <laughs> um, for me, I mean, it just... Sometimes, I'll be honest, I feel like my responses were not as purposeful and, and meaningful as they, they could have been. Firstly, only because one, around the time all these things were happening, my, my daughter was just born. I was settling down. My concerns were not really there. I didn't know how I could impose myself or do things to that extent. My industry is not the same as Mernie's, where I don't necessarily know if I can set something up to that extent that will actually move because his technology field in the pandemic could still work because, you know, you could do those things remotely. I could probably do the same thing for my field, but it's not, it's not, it's not the same. So the only other way would be to actually uh, be active physically. And in New York and with my wife and with my daughter, I, I wasn't, you know, my mind didn't tell me go outside and, and uh, protest or anything like that. that. That wasn't on the table for me. Just safety-wise, priority-wise, you know. So sometimes I feel like I didn't respond the way I, I should have. The way I know I've always pushed the Black agenda is through my work and bringing in people to work with me or even all the way back to college and encouraging people to, you know, come to my college or find ways for them to get admission or, you know, vouch for them or co-sign people for apartments or things like that. That's I've always done stuff like that. I've always referred people to jobs. I've always tried to do that kind of thing. So that's the way I try to do those things. I don't know if it's enough. Some people will say it's not. Um, but for now, that's what I feel comfortable doing. And I think also, I think one of your questions was how how has how you were raised and how you your your culture affected how you responded to this. I think we do have a thing. I don't know if we talked about this on our when you joined us on our episode, but I feel like a lot of Africans in diaspora that were raised in Africa or have that kind of upbringing are a little bit what you call removed from these things. They don't really participate how maybe they should to 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 enhance the discussion 
Uh, I think it's a problem. I think it's something that we should consciously try to address. But also, I mean, we, 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 you know, the whole thing of Africans not seeing themselves as African-American or, you know, that kind of thing. It does filter into things like this, unfortunately. And it's not how it should be, but it is what it is. But knowing that and knowing, you know, you know, that it's a problem, you know, doing your best to to not be part of that problem is, is what I try to do and try to encourage people to do. But it is a thing that, you know, we think we don't share that struggle because generally our parents teach us not to be troublesome or obey the rules or be more on the white behaving side than, you know, African-American counterparts or, you know what I'm saying? You know, just try to be more conformative, you know, and it's not, I, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing knowing what to do to keep your head on your body. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I don't see it. You know, if, if, if you know that every day you could get stopped by a cop, you know, you obviously won't drive crazy. You dress as well as you can. You carry all your particulars. You follow all instructions. You don't resist arrest, you know, stuff like that. So, but saying that when something bad happens or when something over the top happens with the police, we shouldn't, uh, look the other way. We should say yeah. something, or you know, react appropriately, or report to the right uh, authorities, or do something instead of acting like it's not happening. So that that's the that's the thing that I think I've tried to do uh, again. And for me, lockdown, I literally was at home, so I didn't really do too much. I just wa- I watched a lot of stuff from my my couch. You know, I participated on social media how I could. As you, you know, should. As you should, by the way. You gotta stay. COVID yeah. was real, yeah. man. You gotta, no, you gotta do that. You gotta stay home. Yeah, so. And I was just gonna say, well, and here's what I was gonna say as a follow up. I think every time something happens, I think Black responses should be different because enough stuff happens that we are, we can't all be at 100 at every yeah. time, to be honest. And I think that the response that is appropriate for you and your situation is the response. It is what yeah. it is. And I, I actually like what you said about kind of how we are raised collectively, and which is why sometimes Africans can feel like they're removed from this, which actually brings me to a question I wanted to ask both of you, because both of you are, are parents or fathers of, of young children. How, how do you think the way you're raising your kids is different from the way you were raised? And I think particularly, Jimmy, you were raised in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Your daughter. Mm-hmm. Daughter. Your, your daughter mm-hmm. is being raised in the mm-hmm. U.S., <laughs> And Bernie, obviously you were a third culture kid, but I, I'm sure there's still some elements of Nigerian parenting mm-hmm. that came through even wherever you live. So how do you think you're raising your kids different in a way based on just where you are now than if you would Not if you were in Nigeria? Kid, that's, that's the first one, right? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> okay so, and now we're done. And we're done. <laughs> or at least... That's <laughs> the main difference. Sorry. We shouldn't be laughing, but... Yeah, that's that's the main main difference. I mean, I I personally, in my background, didn't necessarily get beat. I got spanked, you know, slapped, you know. My my mom did beat sometimes, but it was very rare. I wasn't, I don't know, I can't remember on 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 one hand when I actually got, like, thrashed, you know. So um, that was never in my thinking for how I was going to, raise my child regardless of what where I was again I got smacked so my daughter now if she does something that I think she shouldn't do I will smack her hand obviously not painful enough because I feel like I I don't know my strength so I try my best to literally I'm literally just tapping I don't want any situation where I'm hitting her too hard Uh, and again it's rare usually just a look is enough for her to to behave uh, properly but yeah, right. And, and other than that, I think just letting them, you know, roll with the cultures that are here. So, for instance, daycare now, she's being taught sign language and Spanish, you know, uh, um, at home. We speak English to her and we try to continue whatever she's learning at daycare. Uh, there is some evil spoken in the house. So hopefully as she starts to comprehend language, we can continue to at least let her understand words in our local language the same way her parents do, 
even if she doesn't even, she's not able to speak it, she should still be able to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's the hope. And other than that, really and truly, the same principles I'm sure that my parents used on me, allowing me to do what I wanted to do, you know, gave me options and let me make my own decisions. I mean, my, my parents, particularly my brother, just from how we do things, we're all in different countries, continents. My sister went to college in the Netherlands. My brother is in England. My other sister was in Iowa. She's now back in Nigeria. Studying what you want to study, the, you know, you have your interests and they won't stop you. Um, my brother went to college in England, played soccer, um, the hopes of, you know, getting more professional. They let him do that. You know what I'm saying? So we were never restrictive in that sense. We were never those. I mean, for me, I'll be honest with you, they probably were a little bit more strict because I was the first. So they kind of guided me down a more professional, you know, profession. But other than that, they let, they let us do what we wanted, what we want to do and within reason. So that's kind of how I'm going to approach it also with my, my kids. That's, that's, that's my hope anyways. I don't see myself doing anything different. I think I, I echo that. You know, I think I think a lot of people, especially the kids that got into our boarding school, the parents were probably largely progressive from a Nigerian context, which is still very conservative from, mm-hmm. a, from a Western context. But, you know, mm-hmm. they let you make your own decisions and all that to to whatever degree that they knew. Right. I think out here, yeah. no one would say that their that Nigerian parents like my if someone from the outside looking in would be like, your parents let you do what you want. So I'm like, I can say that to you because you get it. But like. Mm-hmm. Other people might not get it, but I think other than you know the joke about beating, which is you know, whatever. Like I actually, I'm not one of those people who's like, oh my god, that's so bad. I just, I just won't do it. It's just not my personality. But style, yeah, that's what worked in that generation, and I'm, I'm okay with that. Like that turned out great. Trust me. Exactly. <laughs> but exactly. Um, I, I will say that the, the only thing is, and I, I obviously it hasn't kicked in yet. That for me, and sort of, you know, Chindi alluded to it earlier, is um, I want to raise my kid to be not unafraid. Like, I want him to understand consequences, but there is a parenting by fear that that our mm. parents' generation and the generation before did, you know, and, it, and I believe it was honestly out of uh, colonization, um, civil war, and just basically trying to survive. Like, you know, our our parents were literally born and raised during the Nigerian Civil War time period. So they they know what it's like to be on the run and have nothing and literally, like, you know, literally just trying to survive. Yeah. So in my mm-hmm. head, like, as I got older, I'm like, why would I blame my dad if he was trying to keep me safe? You know what I mean? Because safety is really, really, like, a big part of his existence. And my mom mm-hmm. was younger, yeah. but, like, Oh, she's even worse. But you know what I mean? But like, mm-hmm. I believe a, 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 their generation literally surviving was embedded in their heads. So the idea of going out to a protest, even if you kind of know the protest is going to be safe, it's not mm-hmm. something that they're willing to entertain because they're like, mm-hmm. someone just got yeah. shot by police. You want to go mm-hmm. out there and protest yeah. police? Are you insane? Like, because mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. that fear and I think it's just, we don't have that, you know, like yeah. we're, we, we were, yeah. our lives were, were, were great. Like, you know what I mean? Like we weren't on the run, yeah. like doing all sorts of things to try and survive in the jungle. Like it just wasn't part of us. So I don't, I don't have any, you know, I don't have any malice towards them for overprotecting us, but exactly. it's just like, yeah. because I'm not that person, I won't do that. But I understand where it came from. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that parent either. But I also, like Bernie said, there's something about that whole, I just want them to be able to, to, yeah, fear me enough to not do crazy shit. Like, just think that I'm going to go ballistic <laughs> makes them not do anything. That's, that's, even though they know I probably won't. And even, I just want them to know that if I go ballistic is because I'm trying to protect you. I'm not trying to stifle your progression. What I think you know, you should do is probably the right thing in the long term. I want them to have that in their mind because, again, I believe I was raised in a way where I knew my limits and, you know, I didn't do things that I knew could come back to make my parents, like, upset or disappointed or whatever simply because I didn't want to make them disappointed, not because of me and how I felt. Mm -hmm. It was more 
how right. they would react. That was what ruled my mind. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, unless it stops you from doing you in in terms of other parts of life. But anything relating to going out, doing things, bad things that you know are bad, if that kicks into your mind, I think that's perfect. I think that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. I think it can, it can help you be more disciplined. And so as we start to wrap up, because y'all have so graciously given me your time, mm-hmm. I got two things I want to do. Mm-hmm. And they're fairly quick, depending on how. Right. <laughs> the first is a lightning round. All I do is ask you three questions. Thing that comes off the top of your head. Simple, not All complicated. Right. Okay. But then people always overthink that. So that's the first thing. <laughs> so, but we're going to do it anyway. So first question, because this is really important, honestly. Outside of jell rice. what is one West African I'm being general but honestly we can go regional and say Nigerian dish you think people must try puff puff ha really (laughs) pastry pastry is easy as long as it's sweet people can digest it so pastry puff puff yeah I died the other day. My niece was eating puff puff with, get this, hey, ranch. With ranch? <laughs> she loves ranch. Oh, God. Yes. I, I'm yes. Sorry. <laughs> she's, three, she's three years old, you and I was like, that oh, that's I'm nasty. Sorry. I'm... <laughs> that's nasty. Who? <laughs> <laughs> it was rough. Sorry, I was like, done, my God. Out here. <laughs> you, nah. Both of you were like, what? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're laughing now. Uh, to- toddlers? Yeah, okay. Oh, man. Give it a year. You'll see some things. Uh, Bernie? I, I, that's a tough question. I, because, like, I, my mind would literally went to okra soup and, and fufu, like, straight up. But, like, I'm... Yes. I'm, that's, I'm not that's sure staple. everyone can tolerate it. So, um, if I was to expose West African food to the masses, because I've always thought about what, I, what would I do in a restaurant if I had one, abacha, or, you know, sometimes they call it African salad. Mm. Like, I, yeah, I, would, yeah. I would expose them to that, because that's... Mwah! That's that's a good one. That's a good one, actually. <laughs> do I even do, know what about? Do you know what that is? What's in it? It's like um, I think it is it cassava. It's, I think it's cassava and like shredded and like shredded and up. then oh, spiced up with um huh. palm oil. It looks like yellow with like, it's like long strands of yellow something. Sometimes it's green in it. They use a lot of dry fish in it, and sometimes uh, goat meat and other other things in it. It's pretty good. I've never I've never had it. It's I don't beautiful. think we have it. Either, either that's it. either that's Onkwabi or mm. good, um, good, yeah. good, good, good head. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. I don't like goat meat. Goat meat is the best meat I, in the world. I do not like goat goat meat is oh, not the, it's the best meat in the world. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my god. Second question. If you didn't live in your current location, Dubai. where would you live? Eh, eh, who said Dubai? Bernie did. <laughs> Uh, my current location, F- if I didn't live here, <laughs> if I didn't live here, you mean the States or just in the state particular I am in right now? <laughs> if you didn't live in the States, let's make okay. it easy. If I didn't live in the States, I would live in England. I live in London. Ah, yeah, people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Your podcast, which we will hype up in a minute. What is one episode? If people have not listened to your show before, what's one episode that they should listen to? <sighs> Bernie, you would know this better than me. I don't know. I can't think. We got some. He's like, I just record. We, we, I don't we, even... we, we got some bangers, <laughs> man. We got some bangers. Um... Actually, the first one with the wives. I think God... that's one of the best ones. Yes. It's called God Save the yeah. Queens. Yeah. So actually, check that one out. We get roasted by our wives. So yeah, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's so check it out. That's a good one. Yeah. And in three sentences or less, for people who don't know, tell them about your podcast and what they can expect. Mm, Bernie, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, like, uh, if you ask. listen to like once you listen to this episode of Global Chatter, you understand what we're about. We're just two guys. Like this talk of the talk shop. We're just having a good time. Um mm-hmm. talking that talk. Uh we get serious, but we also get unruly and <laughs> so we yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's not three sentences, but that's what we do. 
<laughs> That's what you do. All right. And where can people find both of you or find your podcast? Uh, you can find me at BUSHA21 on Instagram, Twitter. Talk Shop is at the Talk Shop Pod. Um, yeah. on everywhere on instagram and twitter we'll we'll have the we'll have the show notes in <laughs> yeah. case. on instagram and twitter we'll have the show yes, that's correct and on youtube it's the talk shop pod also i believe and also on sounder i think i don't know how you find it on sounder uh but we are also part of braided media so um it's a it's a new media network um that that out now. I saw. so um I, I saw so yeah big things <laughs> so yeah that, that that's where we are and we'll put it in the show notes like recommend it said i'll have it on the show notes and i'll also have it up on our website when we do our post and if you want to read something funny every now and then on, bernie shows up on my twitter feed and there's some argument about football going mm-hmm. on and because I don't have a TV, I can't even watch <laughs> the argument that's happening with the English Premier League. Yes. I just go, he's very annoyed right now. That's all I know. <laughs> oh, my God. That's all I know. And I, I know the players, but I'm like, what is happening? But anyway, thank you both for coming on to the us. show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. We, we loved it, as usual, talking to you. As, as always, you guys are are highly entertaining. And I don't know, like I said. I might give you your own segment just because <laughs> with unpopular opinions. Hey, <laughs> hey, you know what? We t- hot you takes. Know what? We'll, we'll, what? we'll bring you back onto our podcast and we can have that conversation that we had Man. in the outtakes yeah. if you want to do that. We, Let's just do that. Let's just do that. We should One have a whole, yo, a whole episode on unpopular yes. <laughs> opinions. Just call the episode Today I Choose Violence. Yes. F- F- FYI, this and is happening. We'll... This is not even like we're going to do yes. this. Right <laughs> right we're going to do that for sure. I'm on it. <laughs> you have to. Thank you both for Thank coming. You. Thank you both for coming on. And if you're listening, you know where to find us. We are at thegloverchatter.com or theblackexpat.com as always. And all of those websites have their own social media accounts so you can find us there. Until next time. Peace. You just heard an episode of The Global Chatter Podcast, a project by the Black Expat. It's hosted by me, Amanda Bates, and it's edited by Stephanie Fuccio. To learn more about this podcast or to learn more about the Black Expat, visit theblackexpat.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.